Turn your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, uh, three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a unique Gospel. The last half of it talks about the last week of Christ's life where he's crucified. It talks about Jesus from the perspective of him being God. And he is God. John chapter 3. And we're going to read one verse, verse 16. Okay, normally I don't do this, but we're going to read it together. So, you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I can tell some of you already had that memorized. You've heard that verse before. I suppose it's been a long time since I preached just on John 3.16. But this morning, sort of a topical sermon on the love of God. The love of God. One of the greatest truths that you can ever hear or understand is that Jesus loves me, this I know. To think of the love of God is beyond comprehension. I came across an article when I was trying to find some information about love, and it was quite interesting. Some of you are older will know what I'm talking about. Some of you younger people won't, probably won't. I'll have to explain this, but uh, this is something you wouldn't have heard in Black History Month, by the way. There was a Jewish family named Karnofsky. They immigrated from Lithuania to the United States. I guess it was somewhere around 1900. They took pity on a seven-year-old boy. They brought him to their home. And he stayed and spent the night in this Jewish family home. For the first time in his life, he was treated with kindness and tenderness. When he went to bed, Mrs. Karnofsky sang him Russian lullabies, and he sang with her. Later, he learned to sing and play several Russian and Jewish songs. Over time, this boy... Uh, became adopted by that family. And Mr. Konofsky gave him money to buy his first musical instrument, and that was sort of the custom of the Jewish people. Later, when he became a professional musician and composer, he used these Jewish melodies in compositions such as St. James Infirmary, Go Down Moses, and a number of others. The little boy grew up and wrote a book about the Jewish family that adopted him in 1907. He proudly spoke Yiddish, fluently. And in memory of this family, till the end of his life, he wore the Star of David and said that in his family, he learned to live a real life and determination. The little boy's name was Louis Armstrong. I'd never read that or heard that before. Now, let me explain that to some of the younger people. He was probably the most prominent trumpet player and singer of, and, and not just in black association, but in many white venues and became one of the most well-known and popular musicians of that day. Now that had to be, in that time, difficult for a Jewish family to adopt a black child. Uh, But that showed tremendous love on their part. But you know, that was just uh, very, very simple in comparison to the fact that God had to love every one of us. I mean, in comparison, it pales. It was a great feat in that day and a great show of affection and love and concern. Uh, 
But the love of God is far beyond what we could ever imagine or describe. As we think about this particular verse, we see that throughout Scripture, this idea that God loves us is prominent. In John 11 and verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. He loved them. In fact, you know the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he saw the agony of his family in the death of Lazarus. There was a compassion, a human uh, love for them. We know that he loved his disciples. John 13, 23, there are several verses that say the same thing. John referred to himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He was one leaning on his breast at the Last Supper. There was something unusual about that relationship that he loved him in a, uh, such a complete way. There, there was a love for his other disciples. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following. There, he knew or was known as one whom Jesus loved. And he said at the crucifixion, he commended his mother into the hands of John. He said, remember to take care of her, the woman, the man, uh, John, that disciple he loved. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, he departed out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So it was an everlasting love, which we'll read about later. He loved his disciples. He loved his friends. He loved sinners and the down and out, those that were castaways. He cared for those that to some was repugnant, people that were possessed of demons that people feared. He loved, the Bible says in John 3.16, the world, the entire world. Now, it was not just the world of those who would believe, but the world beyond even those that would believe. First John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation or payment for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. So he is a payment, or he loved the whole world. Mark 10 and verse 21, Jesus beholding him and loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell what thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross and follow me. And the young man walked away, sorrowful because he had many riches. But the Bible says that he loved him nonetheless. He loved him. When Jesus wept, the Jews said of him, Oh, how he loved him. He loved Lazarus. Revelation 1.5, we get to the end of the Bible. He is called uh, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto the him that loved us. It is throughout Scripture, and it is well documented in Scripture, that He loved us. That's why He came to this earth, because He loved us. That does not contradict the justness of God. It does not contradict uh, the, the fact that we are sinners, that uh, we deserve punishment or judgment. The truth is we deserve hell if we got what we deserve. But still, He loved us. Now, those that are unlovely, He loved us. Romans 8, 37, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. There's a well-established fact. But what does that mean, to love? What does that mean 
God's love or that He loves us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We have the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a contrast to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. But here we have the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Joy is uh, love is mentioned first, but we see each one of those that follow is a trait of love. Because joy is love exalted. It's an expression of the love that's in a person's heart. A happy person, it's a love person. Peace is a love at repose or in quietness. Because of love, we can be at peace. It is long-suffering, which is love enduring. It goes on through difficulties and trials and struggles. Gentleness is love in society, that we're careful in how we deal with other people and treat people and respond to people. Goodness is love in action, showing that love to others. Faith is love in battle and times of testing where we just believe that God has a plan for our life and by faith we obey and we follow. Meekness is love in testing, that when we are under trial and maybe persecution, that we still are meek like we see Moses being the meekest man on the earth. And temperance is love in training, teaching children restraint. There is something about love that is an expression that is seen outwardly that others can recognize. But love is all-encompassing. God doesn't just select beautiful people. Aren't you glad? Not just young people. Not just wealthy people. Not just prominent people. Not just politicians. (laughs) He cares about them too because he cared for the publicans. No, he loves everybody. I would suppose that if you followed him around, you would see that he like a magnet toward those that are more outcast than prominent. And some of his strongest rebukes go to those that were the most prominent because of their hypocrisy. But it is all-encompassing. He loves the whole world. He even told the, the, the disciples, love your enemies. Not only those are your friends, but love your enemies. So there is a, an understanding that it is all-encompassing. When he was on the cross, remember his words as he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see the expression of that love is not limited in any way whatsoever. That is all people. That's a a great news when I, I find so often people feel so much guilt and shame over things they've done or where they are, what they're doing now, and they think there's no hope for me. And yet we know that he can save those that are in the gutter, those that are far away from him, those that have committed crimes, that no matter where you've been or what you've done, you look at those demoniac of good, the demoniac Gadara and see here's someone that was cutting himself in the caves. People are afraid of him. Walking around naked. I mean, that, this guy was, was someone everybody said, avoid him, get away from him. And yet Jesus is attracted to him. Are we attracted to the world or we just complain about the world? I mean, he loved all those in the world. It was a sacrificial love. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still going our own way, while we're still in our sin, while we are still cursing God, the story of John Newton's amazing story, he had some experience from his mother of knowing a little bit of Bible, and he mocked the Word of God. He was despised by other shipmen and became a captain of a slave ship. I mean, it was a a repugnant life that he lived. And then the mercy and love of God got a hold of his heart, transformed and changed him. The worst of the world was not interested in him, and yet God still loved him. While he was going his own way, the love of God followed him and finally found him. God's love is steadfast and unmovable. He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Sometimes people love you for a while and then they don't love you. With him it's always consistent. He loves us whether we're lovable or not. Whether we love him or not, he still loves us. It's steadfast, unmovable. You can always count on it. You know, I think as a parent, your children need to know that you love them. More than anything, they need to know that you love them. Sometimes they may not be lovable. Sometimes they do things that embarrass you. You know, I think when you go through a grocery store with small children, that's why they put candy at the exit. (laughs) So the children will scream and complain and you have to buy it to keep them quiet. They're, They're not always lovable, but His love is always toward us. No matter how far we stray, where we've gone, what we've done, He loves us. And that love is personal. Turn with me to the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And it uses the word charity, which is similar to our word love. It says, charity suffereth long. And it's kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. It is a personal relationship with God that He shows that love toward us. When a person becomes a Christian, it's not because of anything we've done. It's not by feeling. It's based on the Word of God. John 3.16 makes it clear that whosoever believeth in Him, it is a faith in His work at Calvary. It's not just an emotion or a feeling. And I think there is emotion. If you get saved and your sins are forgiven, that's emotion. But that's not the basis of salvation. The basis of salvation is faith in the Son of God. It's based on the Word of God. And because the Word of God says it, we can believe it. We put faith in Jesus Christ in His crucifixion at Calvary. That is His expression of love. That is His gift to a lost and dying world. It is for everyone. And this word, whosoever, I'm so glad that's in that verse. Whosoever, that includes everybody. There's no exclusions. And I don't care who you are in the world or you read in the paper or hear in the news. 
some awful, treacherous thing that someone has done, if they'll turn to Christ, they can be saved no matter who they are. They can be in prison. They can be a tyrant. It doesn't matter. They can be what others would call the scum of the earth. But He loves them. And whosoever may come, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. You have a power within you you didn't have before. There is a new nature living. It is the Holy Spirit present within us to help us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to direct us, to comfort us. There is something that changes when a person trusts Christ as Savior. And the Bible says that all things are passed away, all things are become new. We are a new creation, a different person. Remember the story of a mission in Evansville, Indiana. This preacher came and when he walked in, he saw sort of a hobo. There was a barrel and a fire and he was warming himself by that, that fire before he went into the mission. And he said to the mission director, he said, who is that man over there? He said, well, that's old Bill. Yeah, he's a wino. He's drunk all the time. But he does come to the services to get a free meal. He never thought too much about it. A year or two later, he came back, and there was a man dressed in a suit and tie and sat in the front. And he tried to help other men that had come forward. And this same preacher looked at the mission director, and he said, Who is that man? He said, That's New Bill. That was the same man that was out there as old Bill, warming himself with the fire of a barrel. But he got saved and changed, and now he was a new man, a new person. You know, you get cleaned up when you get saved. We see there's a demonstration of that love. Ephesians 2.4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, it's demonstrated by Him going to the cross, he became the payment, the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. He is the means of salvation. The only reason any one of us could ever be in heaven is because what Jesus did, being the perfect Son of God, was crucified on a cross as a payment for our sin. Amen. He showed His love for us and that He died for us. He was crucified for you and for me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Second Thessalonians 2.16 Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. And 1 John 4.19 says we love Him because He first loved us. There's something about Someone who loves you, you want to love them back. Sometimes there's a deterrent. A parent was just telling me when their child was small, they really wanted to please their parents. And, you know, that, that was instilled in them because of the love that was shown to that child. There, I think anyone that receives love, you want to reciprocate. You know, there's a, a custom in, in Japan, it's just part of their culture, that if you give a gift to someone, they feel obligated they need to give you a gift back. Now, there's one problem with that. 
That is, it never ends. If you give them a gift, they give you a gift, then you think, I need to give them a gift because they gave me a gift, and they need to give you a gift because you gave them a gift. And it could go on infinitum, forever. And you always have to think, do I want to do this? Is this going to start something that's going to be difficult to finish? And you have to be prepared to stop at some point. I think there is something about this idea of love, that when somebody loves us, we feel an obligation. Well, the greatest love of all is when Christ died on the cross and showed His love for us. And we're here today because we love Him. Sometimes people say, oh, they're just there because the preacher is there. There was a time when I lost my voice, unable to preach. There was a time when I had a, a serious health issue. And I was out for, like, I don't know, a month, a few weeks. I remember coming in the back of the church, sitting down after the service started, and a thought just hit me. Everybody's here because they love the Lord, not because of me. I'm not here. They're here because they love the Lord. See, that's when love is demonstrated and it's shown, not just talked about, not just said, but when it is shown, it does something to you. You're the recipient of it. So love is demonstrated. And the love of God is unmerited. It's not because we deserve it. Sometimes people will say, well, I need, before I can get saved, I've got to straighten some things out. No, you don't. He loves you just like you are. He wants to save you and straighten you out. You can't straighten yourself out. And if you wait long enough, you'll be straightened out in a coffin in front of the church. I mean, that that you need to be just trust God today. He loves you. He died for you. He will save you today. He'll change your life. In the Old Testament, uh, uh, you know, there's a, a basis we see of salvation, justification. In Deuteronomy 7, I'm going to read just a couple of verses. In verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he did not set his love upon you nor choose you because of anything about you. Now that was of the Jewish people. But it is true for us as well. He didn't look at you and say, now there's going to be a great Christian. There's going to be a great mother or father or teacher or preacher or missionary. He didn't look at you and say, I think I can use him. Sometimes I'll see people and I'll see that they're so talented. I think, wow, God could really use them if they got saved. But God uses people who are saved. And could be a little child can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know that God would use them more than this great, talented person. He sees a sinner, and he can use anybody. But he didn't save you because he thought he could use you. He saved you because he loved you. There was compassion and concern. The love of God is eternal. Jeremiah said this in chapter 31, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. 
an everlasting love from birth to glory and eternity, an everlasting love. And the love of God is universal. It's for all people, whosoever, no matter ethnic background, fits financial status, what part of the country you're from, it doesn't matter. The gospel goes everywhere. And you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, and you're going to find an element of Christianity because someone was saved out of that country and that culture. Anywhere you go, it is universal. And His love is not limited in any way. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. While we were on our own way, doing our own thing, dead in our sins, He is rich in mercy. That is the love of God. That doesn't diminish righteousness, doesn't diminish truth, but it's one aspect of God's nature. It comes out of His being. It's who He is. And that's the only way we know love, because God is love. Out of Him, a Christian now can love others, because He loved us. It's unlimited. And it's immutable or unchanging. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It is eternal. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is unchanging. You can always count on it. It's always there. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? How the son just went out and lived a riotous, sinful life. Did his own thing. Took the father's uh, inheritance and he wasted it. And he ends up the pig pen of, uh, of uh, a leader. And he, he, he said, man, what am I doing? I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I'll just be a servant. Just, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I, I'm not going to live my life in a pig pen. I'm going to go back to my father. And the father said, kill the fatted calf put on a robe and a ring and shoes on his feet. And he said, my son was lost, now he's found. That whole chapter talks about that which is lost and now is found. He came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He was drawn to all those in need. And we were one of those in need. We see that is immutable. And that love passes on to us as a responsibility. There's a certain duty. First John talks a lot about it. But the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love, love one to another. So that love is expressed. You know, the highest... There are different words that could be described as love in the Greek language. So when you read the New Testament, you read the word love, you, know, you can look it up in uh, your dictionary, or if you have uh, something on your computer, you can look it up. And you'll find the highest level of love is the word agape. And it's prominent enough, it's not just a Greek word. We hear that word uh, as it's transliterated, and, and it's used today in a certain sense. So... Agape love is a giving love. It's an action. 
There is uh, something that transpires when there is agape love. It is self-sacrificing. The highest level of love in a home, in a family, in a marriage is agape love. But that is the love that he has shown toward us. Remember when he uh, reprimanded Peter? He, He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter had a hard time answering that question. Do I really love him with that kind of love? And then he changed the word to phileo, like a friend. And he said, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. But it was hard for him to say, I love you with a self-sacrificing love. Because he knew he had disobeyed the Lord. But we have a responsibility. That's our goal. That's what we want to achieve, to love like the Father loved us. John 15, 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That should be our desire, to love one another. And one of the key elements of the church is that people see you love one another. And they say, this is a different place. People love one another. They care about one another. They're not fighting and arguing, complaining, and they're not angry and yelling at one another. There's genuine love. Ephesians chapter 2 says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Then it goes on in chapter 5 to say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What a responsibility. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. Maybe that's not attainable, but it's sure a great goal. It should be a pattern of our life. Seek to love our wife. And we are to love each other. The wives love their husbands. Now when you turn to the Romans chapter 8, we see the degree of his love. Verse 31. Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can come against, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, which, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's one thing no one can take away from you. That it is an eternal. That is a degree of His love. Several years ago, and I've given this illustration before, it's pretty well known, but there there's a song, The Love of God, that uh, a man was writing it, but he couldn't find 
a third verse. And they felt like to have a legitimate song, you had to have three verses. And somebody handed him a piece of paper. And evidently, they found this on the walls of a prison 200 years ago when it was written. Before they painted it, they jotted down the words off of that wall. And the words were, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall evermore endure from age to age will be our song. And that was just the last verse, but there are other verses to it that are equally good. Think about that. I don't know what caused this man to write on the wall. I don't know if he had heard it from someone, if, you know, where it came up all on his own. I don't know where he got it. But it was ordained of God that this man find it and put it together with that song and fit perfectly. What a description, the love of God. You just cannot fully describe it. No one can do justice of it. I remember hearing a well-known preacher preach on John 3.16. I was newly saved, and I, I can't remember all the things that he said. But one part I remember said, if you could find it out in the woods, it used to be prominent, you'd go out in the woods and find honey. And it would be wild. Bees would find an old log or uh, something empty. And, they would, and he said, if you could go out in the woods and find a, a place of honey, and he said, just stick your hand and pull out some of that honey and take it in your mouth and let it drip down your side. That's the sweetness you find in Christ Jesus. It's more than you could ever imagine. To think of the love of God that He would love you and me. Knowing who we are, knowing our frailties, and yet still knowing that He loved us. How comforting is it to know that God loves us? And if you walk around with guilt all the time, you, you just can't seem to get over it, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking at yourself. You're looking at the world around. You need to look up to the Son of God that gave Himself for you, that loved you and showed that love, demonstrated that by being crucified on the cross of Calvary. And you can receive that love by accepting as your Savior. And if you are saved, keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember that He still loves you. And it's always toward you. It is eternal. It is everlasting. He loves you whether you're good or bad. He loves you whether you're strong or weak. He loves you no matter where He might find you. That love never ends. Let's bow for prayer.